So we're looking at this, um, this wonderful chapter um, of Daniel chapter 3. Um, you have it in French if you want to follow the reading in French. And there will be a couple of titles. There's not a lot, but there's a couple of titles to help you um, latch on um, that will be shown in French. Okay. Um, I love this chapter. Uh, it's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, and the reasons for that, I hope, will become clear. Uh, but one reason is that um, it, this chapter is always relevant. It was very, very relevant to the people of the time when Daniel wrote, yeah, because they needed to stand for God in a hostile um, culture. But actually, the people of God are always standing in a hostile culture. Um, the culture of heaven is a different culture from the culture around us. And so we always need encouragement to stand for God. And so this chapter is always relevant. But also, it's a colourful chapter. It's a chapter with a blazing fiery furnace heated seven times. It's a chapter with a band and it's a chapter with lots of officials wearing uh, robes which are listed, and soldiers wearing things that are listed for us. So, um, so it's, it's full of colour and um, quite exciting as a chapter, uh, even though it's a bit hard. I was looking forward to hearing different people say the word zither. Uh, that was, that was going to be one of the highlights for me, was to hear you all attempting the word zither, um, which is not an easy word. Uh, even for Anglophones, zither is not the easiest word to pronounce. Um, I think as well it's a chapter that is meant to make us laugh. And I was quite um, pleased to see a couple of people's faces begin to crack um, as we read the chapter. Um, but one of the nicest things about this chapter is that it's a chapter that shows us how the Lord Jesus Christ comes to be with his people when they really need it. Um, and that's a marvellous thing to think about, especially when we're looking at something that happened hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Yeah? Um, so it's a great encouragement to us, who sometimes we feel alone and we feel under threat, um, that we're not alone and we're not under threat, um, that the Lord Jesus Christ comes and stands alongside us. So that's enough for an introduction. I've got, how many points have I got? Um, well, I got kind of five, really, um, big points, okay? Five big points. And the first one is from verse 1 to verse 7. Le grand projet de Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar's great idea. Um, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar's great idea. Uh, you remember last week from when Sylvain was speaking to us that um, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a massive uh, statue. And this massive statue was a statue made of various different kinds of material. Yeah? There was a golden head. I can't remember all the different materials, but there was golden head. There were two different materials for the body. I think bronze and then iron. And then I think the toes were made of something else. Um, and the statue was mixed. And um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar sees a stone, a stone cut from a mountain, not by human hands, 
and that rolls against the statue and smashes it to powder. But the stone becomes a kingdom that fills the whole earth. And Daniel explains that the statue is the kind of story of human history as it unfolds, yeah? Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, but after him, just imagine, just listen, think of those words for a, for a while. If I say to you, um, after you, after you've died, uh, people laughed at, uh, at our queen. They thought she was making a, a very good joke about a tree that was going to grow. And she said in 2050, she said, it will be this size. And then she paused and said, I won't be here then. And people thought she was making a joke. I wasn't sure she was. I just thought she was stating a fact. You know, she's 92. Chance of her being around in 2050 are slim, frankly, you know? In fact, the chance of me being around in 20... I'm not 92, but I'm not going to be around in 2050, I don't think. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of after us. There is an after us. And um, Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with that. After him, there's going to be the succession of uh, kingdoms. But then another kingdom will come from God, which will outlive all other kingdoms, crush them to nothing, and fill the whole earth. Okay? Uh, and uh, Daniel tells him, the God of heaven will set up, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will outlive them all. Well, I don't know whether um, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of dwelling on his dream and dwelling on what's going to happen. Um, but it kind of looks like that. Because Nebuchadnezzar has this great idea. And the great idea solves the problem that nations and empires always have. And the problem is this. How do we keep the country united? How do we keep France united? For example... Um, there are various independence movements in various parts of France. Yeah? How do we stop certain parts of France from breaking away? In Spain, there was a part of Spain that decided to hold a referendum. Shall we become independent from Spain? And they voted to become independent. And that really kind of um, started um, a bit of a mess. People are divisive, aren't they? Uh, people have different languages. People have different cultures. People have different beliefs. People have different loyalties. How do you keep a country and an empire united? Especially when Nebuchadnezzar is thinking all the time, after me, after me, after me, what will happen? Someone this evening said, so what will happen when you go? What will happen to the church? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where another pastor will come from for uh, Bordeaux Church. Uh, we've got a few years to think about that, I hope. But you know, you, you, I don't know. Um, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is thinking like that. How can I secure the future of the empire? And so he thinks, and this bit, I think we have good reason to suppose and to believe. He thinks, I know what I'll do. I will set up, I will set up this great project of a statue that will unify the whole of the empire. And it was a very common idea. Um, and the, this kind of echo of the, the kingdom that God will set up, we find in this chapter. You find it in verse 1. 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar set up his statue on the plain of Dura. Verse 2, to the dedication of the image he had set up. Verse 3, they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You're starting to get the point. Verse 5, King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 7, set up. Verse 12, set up. Verse 14, set up. And so on. So, you know, whenever you see a lot of repetition in a Bible text, ask yourself, why? Why are these words cropping up all the time? Well, it's because God is setting up this kingdom that will never be shaken. And so Nebuchadnezzar thinks, well, two can play at that game. I can set something up too. And he sets up this huge statue. Anyone know how high um, the statue is? What are we told here? About the height of the statue. Can anyone spot it? 60 cubits high. 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide then. Um, who, can, who can understand cubits? Well, let's use a more international standard of measurement. In America, they use feet. In France, we tend to use meters. I have settled on the international unit of the William. So I will take an average international <laughs> William and we will put William here. How many Williams do you think are represented by the statue? Two Williams. Can you imagine two Williams? I mean, one William is already fairly high. Two Williams. Um, It's not two Williams. Uh, Any advance on two Williams? How many Williams to make this statue? Let's imagine five Williams, okay? Let's imagine five Williams. So you're looking at William, and then you've got one, two, five Williams. One on top of the other. Uh, but it's not five Williams. The statue was 15 Williamses high. Is the plural of William, Williams or Williamses? Anyway, it was 15, 15 Williams high. Yeah? And it was how wide? Anyway, never mind. <laughs> it was 15 Williamses high and 15 Williamses wide. So can you imagine? This is a big statue. And it's all covered in gold. Nebuchadnezzar thinks, I'm not going to make the mistake of that dream. It'll all be gold. It'll all be gold. Remember, he was the head of gold. He says, this time I'm going to be the whole lot. Right down to the toes. It'll all be gold. And so he sets up this statue. And he says, you know, I don't mind what language you speak. I don't mind what culture you have. I don't mind what gods you serve. So long as you worship my statue. Yeah? When you hear the sound of the, and we've got to do the list, haven't we? The horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you bow down and you worship the statue. That's what you've got to do. That is what it takes to pledge allegiance to the Babylonian Empire. When you do it, you're Babylonian. When you don't do it, you're not. And so... Uh, Everyone is assembled on the plain of Dura. Uh, The statue is there in all its splendor, uh, 15 Williams high. And they they observe the statue radiant, you know, like Our Lady of Aquitaine, only only much, much, much bigger, you know. And uh, shining there out over the Dura. And uh, the band plays and down they go. Yeah? Up tails all. Um, as the old poem says. Uh, All must bow down. Now, just remark a couple of things, right? Notice a couple of things. 
One is, Nebuchadnezzar is very tolerant. He doesn't care what language you speak, doesn't care what clothes you wear, what culture you have, what gods you worship. He doesn't care at all. Just so long as you add in this one, you've got to add in this God. You've got to bow down and worship this one. And so he's very, very tolerant. But if you don't worship this one, what's going to happen? There's a furnace. He did seven times. Apparently, the Babylonians, um, living where they did, uh, they uh, used to build in brick. They didn't have a lot of stone, but they had a lot of mud. And so they would make bricks, and they would uh, fashion their bricks, and then they would fire them in these brick kilns, we would say nowadays, or furnaces. And the furnace was kind of like a, a big um, uh, box made out of brick as well, and it had a bellows, so you would work the bellows, blow heat through the charcoal, and it would heat it very hot to fire the bricks. And that's where you would go. It wouldn't be a load of bricks, it'd be a load of you if you don't worship the statue. All must bow down. Now, of course, this is what people do to unify countries, to unify empires, to unify nations. This is what they do. This is what people do. It's an old problem and it's a modern problem. The Roman Empire, the early Christians, what were they told? You've got to pray to Caesar. You know, it says on all the coins, Caesar, Lord and Saviour, Dominus Soter. That's what it says. On all the coins, you can see it there. So you, you pray to Caesar. There are altars on the street corners. Burn your incense, pray to Caesar. And they said, but there is only one Lord and Saviour. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't worship Caesar. We can't pray to Caesar. We're good citizens, but we can't pray to Caesar. And they said, if you don't pray to Caesar, what happens to you? The gladiators, the lions, the games, uh, Caesar's garden parties, and so on. Yeah? Um, people were martyred because they wouldn't pray to Caesar. They were good citizens, but they wouldn't do that. And that was the litmus test. Yeah, that was the real test of whether you were loyal or not. Um, in the old days in France, do you remember there was a, a slogan that went with the king of France? It was, and I'm going to get it in the wrong order. But it was something like, un roi, une loi, une foi. Yeah? And if you adopted a different faith, one king, one law, one faith. If you adopted a different faith, for example, you became Protestant, that wasn't just nothing. That was, that was breaking the whole unity of the country. And so France ends up at war. Because you can't have un roi, une loi et deux fois. You can't. It's got to be un roi, une loi, une foi. And so uh, France ends up at war. And we have the wars of religion. Uh, in Russia in the 1930s, it was a different thing. It was Stalin. And I've got a little quote here from Russia and from Germany in the 1930s. And this is from um, a chap called Dale Rolf Davis, who's talking about Daniel. He says, in the late 1930s, when Joseph Stalin was so admired in the Soviet Union, Stalin's name was mentioned in a provincial meeting. This triggered a standing ovation. Everyone stood and applauded. Stalin wasn't there, but they applauded the name of Stalin. And a standing dilemma, because nobody dared to be the first one to sit down. 
Finally, an elderly man, unable to stand any longer, took his seat. They took his name and arrested him the following day. He had failed to worship the idol long enough. Or there's the case of Paul Schneider. Paul Schneider was lined up with other prisoners at Buchenwald concentration camp on the 20th of April 1938, Hitler's 49th birthday. And in tribute, the prisoners were ordered to remove their berries and to salute the swastika. At once, all took off their hats, but guards saw one man who would not salute the swastika. His name was Paul Schneider, and they beat him, 25 lashes with an ox-hide whip. That was the first time he was beaten, but not the last. And so we needn't think, well, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens in, in ancient times. No, no, it happens in modern times too. In modern times too, people demand uh, that you, you uh, kowtow to this kind of idea. Um, the example has arisen over the past week of a lady called Shania Twain. Uh, and I know William knows about this, because I told him about it earlier. But um, anyone know who Shania Twain is? She's um, a kind of country music singer. And she's Canadian. And she was being interviewed by the Guardian newspaper, which is a British newspaper. Now, why they asked this question, I don't know. But I think they were just being annoying. They asked Shania Twain, if you had been American from the USA, and if you had had the vote in 2016, who would you have voted for? Now, Shania Twain, you know, if, I hope that I would have had the presence of mind to say, look, I'm not American, I didn't vote in 2016. I don't know, you know, what a stupid question. But she said, oh no, I would have voted for, who is the president? Uh, Donald Trump, she said. I would have voted for Donald Trump. Well, it was published in the newspaper, and all of a sudden, Shania Twain is getting all kinds of, um, of nasty messages. How dare she say she would have voted for, for Donald Trump? Never mind the fact that at least half of America, in theory, voted for You know, he is president, so somebody voted for him. But no, she says, I would have voted for him, and she's pilloried. She's mocked and derided. Um, You don't solve this problem. It's, it's what people are like. And you will face this problem in your life. You will. People will say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Do you toe the line on this question? Or are your views forbidden? And it's an issue, isn't it? And of course... All must bow down. All must bow down. And of course the real problem is it's not that Nebuchadnezzar thinks the statue is God. He knows it's a statue. He knows it's painted gold. Because if you look at it, he says, if you don't bow down and worship the statue, he says, it's verse um, 16, I think, no, 15. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? My hand. The real problem is Nebuchadnezzar takes himself for God. What I think God thinks. And no God can defy me, says Nebuchadnezzar. What God could rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar takes himself for God. Now, 
Okay, so far that's not been very good news, has it? Because we're all going to face the, the situation one day where somebody's going to ask you, what do you think about? And if your views are not popular, what do you do? But there is good news. There is good news. And the good news is this. There is a God. There is a God. There is a real God in heaven. And if there were no God, then this would be tragic. It's just people delivered into the hands of tyrants. But there is a real God. And because of that, we can see the funny side. The funny side. This whole chapter is comical. It really is. Um, You see it here. There's, There's all this pomp. You know, uh, the officials are, are, are wheeled out. They come in their parades. You can see them all wearing their specific robes and uniforms. And um, they're listed, I think, three times. The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors. I was very pleased the way people read those with a little pause for the commas. Treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials. And you can see them all parading down and they feel very important as they go and stand in the front of the crowd ready to bow to the statue. And we all think, what a crowd. And then they're named again and again and again. Uh, The list of instruments. um, And that's listed, I think, four times. Uh, Even Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. And, you know, some people reading this, they get fed up of reading the list of instruments, and they say, same band as before, they say. Same band as before. But I think we're meant to repeat it. Because there comes a time when pomp becomes pompous. Now, I don't know how to explain that in French. Mais il y a un moment où la cérémonie devient ridicule. C'est juste ridicule. C'est vide, c'est quelque chose qui est... C'est comme le statue, quoi. Finalement, c'est, c'est pas de l'or même. C'est, c'est une statue couverte d'or. Et c'est rien, c'est rien. Ça va pas durer. Um, and the pump just becomes pompous. Yeah? It's empty. You could prick it. It's like a balloon. You prick it and it goes bang. Um, here's an example of that. Um, <clears throat> Some of my early memories are watching things on the television. Okay, it was like that. And one of the things I remember watching, really enthusiastically, it must have been when I was 12, because the Shah of Iran um, had huge, a huge celebration in 1971 to commemorate the 2,500th anniversary of the Persian Empire. Yeah? I'm going to repeat that in French because it's a little bit complicated. Alors, c'était 1971 et le chat d'Iran, il a, il, il a uh, commémoré le 2500 anniversaire, anniversaire de l'Empire perse. Hein? Avec de, uh, uh, c'était vraiment un gros truc dans le désert d'Iran. Really, a huge ceremony. I was telling someone earlier, they, they took... 50,000 songbirds from Europe to Iran because he wanted people to hear the sounds of birds singing. Yeah? Unfortunately, in the Iranian desert, it gets to 40 degrees in the day and under zero at night, and after three days, all the birds were dead. Um, So, you know, bon. 
C'est comme ça. Um, and there was this hu the huge processions. I remember watching them, fascinated, because they had like soldiers dressed up like Persian soldiers from 2,000 years ago, parading along with these huge trumpety things, blasting and so on. And you know, it was it was a real spectacle, uh, an amazing thing. It lasted for days. The menus, all in French, were were a sight to see. The things that they were eating was amazing in the in the festivities. And you know, in 1979, eight years later, the Shah of Iran is on an aeroplane to Paris, where eventually he dies in exile. The Iranian Revolution takes place. And, and the whole system is gone. And you think, it's, it's a balloon, isn't it? It's a balloon. You pop it, bang, and it's gone. Nebuchadnezzar's great idea. Verse 8 to 15, un complot. In English, another setup. Another setup. Nebuchadnezzar has set up his statue, but some astrologers, some Chaldeans, decide to set up the Jews. They come and denounce the Jews. Now observe this. These Jews, we don't know where they were. We don't know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They certainly weren't on the plain of Dura. Yeah? Please don't imagine that everyone is bowing down and these three are standing there going... <whistles> it wasn't like that. They had to go and get them. So they're not making an issue of it. They're not making a public demonstration. They're just minding their own business. Okay? But these astrologers, they seize the opportunity... And they say, some Jews who, and they use the words against Nebuchadnezzar, who you set up, you set up in positions of authority, they neither worship your gods, nor do they bow down in front of the statue. And so they're denounced uh, against um, Nebuchadnezzar. And there's no public protest. Daniel, for example, Daniel doesn't appear in this chapter. We don't know where he is. You uh, might be in another province working somewhere. Who knows? But they're not, they're not protesting. They're not holding placards and saying, no statue of gold here. Yeah? They're, they're, not, they're not trying to uh, stop anything. They're just minding their own business. But no, that's not enough. That's not enough. And uh, so they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's, uh, he's a wonderful figure in this chapter, really, because all of a sudden he's furious with rage. He's absolutely, he's, he's as hot as the furnace. And um, he says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, and he knows they don't. He knows they don't. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a burning furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's, it's wonderful the way it's written, isn't it? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, certainly not uh, a 90-foot statue, you know, 15 Williams high. The statue can't do anything. You know, what, what's the statue going to do about it? 
And the statue is completely uh, oblivious to whether people are bowing down before it or not anyway. What does the statue care? But Nebuchadnezzar cares a lot. Okay, that was a short one. Next one's fairly short as well. A gracious refusal. A refus gracieux. I don't know whether you can really say that in French, but I have. A gracious refusal. Um, Verse 16 down to really verse 23, I think it is. Look at how they address Nebuchadnezzar. And their words are very courteous. They're not rude to him at all. Uh, They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So they're polite. They're not rude at all. They're firm, and they say certain things about God. Now, all this is a big debate. What is God like? What is God like? Is God like a statue, uh, 15 Williams tall, that can't do anything? Or is God something completely different? Is God totally different from that? And they say, the first thing you need to know is God exists. God exists. There really is a living God who made the heavens and the earth and everything who lives, everyone who lives in it. The second thing he says, we serve him. He don't serve us, we serve him. He doesn't assure the unity of the nation. We can't use him as some kind of um, totem or flag for people to show their unity. We, it's, he's not that kind of God. You serve him. He is God and not you. We serve him. Third thing they say, he can deliver us. He can deliver us. We are convinced he can deliver us. Fourth thing they say, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship anything else or certainly not this statue that you have made. Now that's really important And that is what you need to think through as well. And I need to think through too. Because God always delivers his people. Yeah? I'm going to tell you about a man uh, that I never met, but I heard so much about him. Um, He belonged to a church in the south of Wales, uh, in a town called Swansea. And in Swansea, Swansea is the Toulouse of Wales, okay? So if you can imagine Les Toulousains, uh, the people of Swansea are a bit like, like Les Toulousains. I'll let that image kind of conjure in your mind for a bit. And this chap uh, who belonged to this church in Swansea said, I don't know. You people in this church, sometimes I wonder if you believe in God at all. And they said, what's the matter? He said, well, every time someone gets ill and is near to death, you say, oh, God, don't take him, don't take him, don't take him. Don't you think that people want to go and be with God? And he's got a point, doesn't he? You know, every time somebody is close to death, we say, oh, please don't let them die. As if that's the worst thing that can happen to you. It's not, is it? When people die, they go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a marvelous thing, you know? 
I'm not saying we should all long for death, but I am saying there comes a time when to die is not the worst thing. You can accept it and, and say, uh, um, another lady from that same area, um, she was terminally ill, and the doctor came to her um, in the hospital where she was and said, um, so um, what's the outlook for you? Are you going home soon? She said, well, I am going home, but not to my house. And he said, oh, yes, she said, um, I, I'm, I'm terminally ill and I, I'm not going to be able to leave the hospital. But I'm going home, she said, uh, because she was going home to be with Jesus. In my father's house, said the Lord Jesus Christ, there are many rooms. And God always saves his people. Sometimes he saves us from the furnace and sometimes he saves us through the furnace, but he always saves his people. Here's an example, James and Peter. You know that wonderful time when Peter was in prison? And um, James had been in prison previously, and James had been beheaded. Herod had had James beheaded, and now Peter was in prison. And all the churches gathered to pray for Peter to be released but I don't know whether any of them thought that Peter would get out or not. Because an angel is sent to open the gates for Peter. And Peter goes to the house where, the church, where he knows the church will be meeting. And uh, it's a lady called Rona, isn't it? Or Rhoda. I forget whether it's Rhoda or Rona. I know a Rona, so it must be Rhoda. Uh, Rhoda goes to the door. And um, she thinks, sounds like Peter. And she thinks, well, it can't be. James was beheaded. And so she goes back and says, I can hear Peter's voice. And they go, well, don't be stupid, open the door. And she goes back and opens the door and Peter comes in. Why? Because they all thought Peter would be beheaded. And instead, Jesus sends an angel to set him free. Now, you know, James was set free too, but in a different way. In a different way. Nobody stays in Herod's prison. Not forever. Hebrews 11, the end of Hebrews 11. I need to read this one to you. Um, but you'll be struck by this, I hope, of how faith works. Yeah? Need to find Hebrews 11 first. I knew I should have put stickers in. Okay, verse 32 down to the uh, end of Hebrews 11. And listen. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. You think, amazing. Faith always triumphs. Yeah, it does, but not always in the same way because he carries on. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. See, faith is like that. Faith trusts God. It doesn't manipulate God. You can't manipulate God and make him do what you want him to do. You trust him. 
You trust him. You say, God, you are wiser than me. You are wiser than me. And you can deliver me from the flames. But even if you don't, I'm still going to trust you. Even if you don't. Even if they never find a trace of me again. Because all, I, all I'm useful for is making bricks. Yeah? I just feed the furnace that makes the bricks. Even if they never find a trace of me again, I know you can deliver me. And I trust you. Real faith trusts. It doesn't manipulate. Now, you, we could talk about that for a long time. Okay? Uh, but we're not going to do that because otherwise we'd be here all night and we've already been here a long time. So... Um, I will leave you to think that through. And if you want to talk that through, talk about it together. Talk about it with me or with Maxim or with James or with uh, someone else. Um, but it's something that we really need to, to grasp. Faith trusts God, doesn't manipulate him. Okay, in the flames, verse um, 20, 20, we are kind of, what have we got? Six, 16 to 25. Okay. It's after 16 really, isn't it? More 19 to 25. For in the flames. In the flames. You know, God has promised amazing things. He's promised this. And I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 43. Some of you can quote it to me. And you're thinking it through in your mind. Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He says, heat the furnace more. Make it hotter. Seven times he says, make it hotter. I want the furnace as hot as it can possibly be. And so eventually, uh, it's as hot as it can get. And the soldiers take Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, bound, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes. Um, you know, at this point in Daniel, they love lists. And um, the men bound, are thrown into the furnace, but the soldiers who throw them in are overcome by the heat. Have you ever taken anything out of the oven? It's terrible, now I wear glasses. You open the oven door, you can't see a thing. You know, it's a nightmare. Um, before, you open the oven door and all your eye eyebrows and um, uh, eyelashes get singed. Uh, it used to be awful. Um, well, now at least that doesn't happen. I just can't see for a while. But um, uh, these men... It's so hot, they die. They die from the heat. And the three men fall into the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is watching. Now, you don't need to be very good at maths, do you? You know, there are often disputes here over how many people are here. Um, I am hopeless at counting people. And so last week, I think it was William counted people and I counted people and we came to different numbers. In fact, I can add up a column of figures and get it to a different number every time. I really can. But I can tell three from four at a glance. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He says, we threw three people in 
And they were bound. But I see four people. And they're free. And they're walking around. And one of them looks like a son of the gods. And there they are. They're unharmed. And they're free. And they're accompanied. They're accompanied. Why? Opinions vary who this fourth person is. But who comes to your mind? If I say to you, a fourth person, we don't know where he comes from, but he looks like a son of the gods. I mean, who are you going to think it is? You know? Um, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a, a huge theological imagination to get to the point where the Lord Jesus Christ has come to be with his people. He loves to be with his people. And that means that in the Old Testament, from time to time, he doesn't wait for the incarnation. You know, Jesus won't take a human body until he's born at, at Bethlehem. When he's born at Bethlehem, he will be a baby. But in the meantime, in the Old Testament, from time to time, we see this shadowy figure. Sometimes he's described as being somehow the Lord, but it's a person, it's, a, it's the Lord and it's a man. Sometimes it's described as the angel of the Lord, but people worship him and he accepts it. And you think, well, how can that be? And here it's someone who looks like uh, a son of the gods. And it's Jesus come to be with his people. Uh, because he just can't keep away. How can he keep away when his people are thrown into a furnace? And so he accompanies them. You know, some of the most amazing testimonies are of people who've been in really, really difficult situations. I think of one, one man, Richard Wurmbrandt, uh, Wurmbrandt, or something like that, in East Germany. And he was imprisoned for his faith in Jesus uh, for years. And he said, I wouldn't change that now if I could. He said, the times I knew in that prison cell when it was just me and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we were alone together. And it was me and him and he was with me. And I knew it. And the Lord Jesus Christ in times like that can come very, very close to his people. He sustains us. He always sustains us. And sometimes we know that he's there. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Come out, come out. Why does he say Most High God? Well, he'd said earlier, what God could deliver you from my hand? Well, now he's found out, hasn't he? There is a God who can deliver people from his hand. Well, he calls him the Most High God. And they come out. And they see, uh, who sees? The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors. Here we go again. Um, they crowd around them and they see that the fire hasn't harmed them. Uh, their robes are not scorched. Neither their trousers, nor their turbans, all their other clothes. And there's no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar makes his little confession of faith. La foi de Nebuchadnezzar. He says, praise be, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god other than their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. 
It's remarkable, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be. And he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, you defied me, but you trusted in your God. I can see the quality of people you are. I will promote you. I will give you more responsibility. Does he now believe in the living God? Let's take a poll. What do you think? Does he believe in the living God? Who thinks, yeah, maybe. Who thinks, I'll tell you, I'm unconvinced. I am unconvinced by Nebuchadnezzar's confession of faith. Why? Because he still thinks he's bigger than God, doesn't he? He says, I better protect this God. You know, anyone who says something bad about this God, I better cut him in pieces and smash his house to rubble because after all, this is the most high God and he needs me, Nebuchadnezzar, to protect him. Bless him, he really doesn't understand at all, does he? He hasn't understood. Will he ever get it? We'll see next week. What about you? Do you get it? There really is this real great and living God. You can't manipulate him. You don't need to defend him. But you can trust him. You can trust him with everything you are and everything you have. He won't dance to your tune. I'm not here to tell you that if you trust him enough, he'll make all your plans come true. No. Because his plans are better than yours. And sometimes he'll take your plans and turn them on, on upside down. Because sometimes your plans, frankly, you know, they're no good. But he has great plans. And you can always trust him. Even when that means that people say to you, so what do you think about this, this and this? And you think... What do I say? Do I stand with God? Or do I bow to the God of public opinion and just say what everyone else says? Because otherwise I'll be pilloried, I'll be mocked, I'll be laughed at. Or worse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of heaven. uh, That no one needs to protect you. No one needs to defend you. Uh, No one can defy you because you are the the great, real and living God. You made the heavens and the earth. You made all things. You made us. You sustain everything by your word of power. And we thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ not just to be with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but also to be our saviour. He came and uh, experienced this world. He came and stood for, for truth and stood for you. He came and lived uh, uh, that perfect life for us. And then he took everything they could throw at him. He was crucified and took not just what men could do, but also bore your wrath. Uh, sent by you to do that. Uh, coming willingly to do that. In love. To bear your wrath for us. So that we might live. And we do thank you that you are a God like that. Please help us then, every moment of every day, to trust you. Not to try and manipulate you, to make you uh, fulfill our plans, make all our plans come true. But help us to trust you and to know that you will always deliver us, 
whether through the flames or from the flames, but we can always trust you. Help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> Our uh, third song is, uh, There is a higher throne than all this world has known. This is what Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn, I think. Uh, where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. Before the sun will stand made faultless through the Lamb. Believing hearts find promised grace. Salvation comes. So we'll stand to sing. <clears throat>